The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to The Waking Dream, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, September 5th, 2022, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this podcast, we will be having an in-depth discussion on Netflix's The Sandman. Please welcome my co-host, Jeffrey Arouz. Wakey, wakey, everyone. And our villainess of wonder, Priscilla Obregon. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I just I, felt like I appreciate that. the panache. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, guys, let's jump into our discussion of season one, episode seven, which was titled Collectors and debuted August 5th, 2022 via Netflix. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Odd disturbances shake up the dreaming. Rose sets out on a road trip with a new friend and the Corinthian arrives with a guest at a creepy convention. Woo. Okay. So we start off, and Rose and Lyda are both more than ever coming to realize that their dreams are becoming reality. As you guys remember, Lita was a little bit uh, pregnant last time, and Rose was dealing with the jet of it all. Well, Rose's powers are continuing to weaken the walls between the realms, and this is causing dreams to come true. So the walls between reality and dreaming are bleeding, and they are fading, and this is kind of leading to how Lita was able to get pregnant and have this paradise-like life with her husband in the sardine can house that he built for her. And more than ever, Lita admits that she wants to go live in her dream with Hector, their unborn baby. And she's saying, you know, I have a better life in dreams than I do in reality. And Rose was like, ow, bitch, sick burn. <laughs> but she wants to go live with Hector and leave the real world behind and sleep forever. While they're doing this, she's in her dreams and she's with Hector and there's some earthquakes going on. There's some damage happening uh, and they're trying to figure out what's going on because Hector's like, this was never like this before. And we start to see Lita's dream world slowly cracking and breaking from these earthquakes. Now, obviously, seismic activity in the dreaming, someone's going to be aware of it. And back in the headquarters of dreaming, Dream HQ, as we'll call it. There's not a lot of trust in Morpheus, or Faith, if you will, because as we know, last two episodes, we kind of dealt with him returning to Doucheland, and he insulted Lucienne, and she went back to being a librarian, and because he was gone for so long, the concern about him being able to save it is maybe not there with everyone, and he's continually perturbed by everyone thinking that Lucien is the one to go to because he's back. And they're pointing out, well, while you were gone, she was taking care of everything. And he's throwing a little internal tantrum, but he's starting to realize that Lucien, there might just be more. She's like a transformer. There's more than meets the eye, more than just a librarian. And she might be able to help him with what's going on. 
So, of course, when he goes to her, Lucian does have answers, and she hypothesizes that it is Rose that is causing this. The walls are weaker, dreams are becoming true, because the dreaming is disturbed by the strengthening of Rose's powers, and Morpheus needs to act, and he needs to act now. So welcome to the penultimate episode. This was our preface. This was our canvas beginning to paint the finale picture. What did we think of the earthquakes? Where did we think this is going? And are we feeling a little sorry for Hector and Lita or no? Priscilla, talk to me. <laughs> the whole time I was like, Lita, you heard dumbass bitch. Like, have you never heard of incubuses, of demons and stuff like that? Like, <laughs> you're, you're just like, no, this is my husband. I'm like, uh, what? I know it's not an incubus and a demon. I know it's the real husband, but like, I would have suspected, like, it, had I woken up and was pregnant from a dream, like, what the fuck? This is just weird. But she's just really trusting about it and happier with her husband, which made me feel bad for her friend because she kind of adopted the girl. And I was like, and you're just going to abandon her to go live in a dream? That shows that you care right. about her a lot. Yeah. You know, I was actually, when I was watching this, I came up with a little song for Lita and Hector. You guys want to hear it? Yes. I know you. You <laughs> impregnated me once upon a dream. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> what did you think of it all? Okay, so I liked that we got confirmation that this was sort of Rose's doing. So I thought that was good because I was a little worried we were going to get like a whole bunch of different machinations because we had we had learned or at least we had surmised that if you get pregnant in a dream that could lead to another vortex. And so I was worried that there were just going to be vortexes all over the fucking place. So the fact that it was like that the walls between the dreaming and the real world were breaking down, that was interesting information. I also liked that we pretty much understood that, you know, this was not, you know, an, an incubus type of situation or anything else being manipulated, that this was her actual husband i thought that was interesting as well because it kind of blurs the lines between you know the afterlife and the dreaming which we have sort of learned a little bit about in previous episodes as well so all of that was fascinating i felt bad for lida i feel bad because y'all keep on calling her lita but uh, but i feel bad i felt bad for lida because <laughs> You know, like, I understood where she was coming from because of the portrayal. You know, she's so, like, wrapped up, consumed by grief. You know, she wants to spend a little time with the person that she loves. I completely agree with everything Priscilla just said. I mean, you've pretty much kind of adopted slash you're fostering uh, uh, Rose, sort of. I mean, even though Rose is a grown-ass woman, but you're kind of like her, her family. I mean, she doesn't really have much family. She's out there looking for her brother. She just recently found out that she has a great-grandmother. So, for like a moment there, you were all she had. 
and now you're abandoning her. And so I didn't like that. I felt like like Lyda like needed to snap out of it in a big way uh, because I was worried for her because clearly we're not supposed to be sleeping all day. Like you have to live your life. You can't live your dream. Although we do want everyone out there listening to live your dreams, you know, whatever you want to do within the world, live it. You just don't actually want to live your dream in your dreams. Like you want to be out there doing stuff. So I was worried for her big time, especially because she's pregnant and she's perfectly fine with it. You know, she's got this dream baby. That's a lot. Poor, poor Lida. Yeah. You know, live your dreams, but don't like put yourself into a coma to live your dreams. <laughs> yes. So Lida's happy. And yes, I, I keep, I don't know why I want to say Lita. <laughs> when I see the name, I want to say Lita. But then I remember how it's pronounced at the yeah. show and I'm like, no, it's the other version. Yeah. But it looks like it should be Lita. Yes. Right? <laughs> so she is having her happy, albeit earthquakey time with Hector. And we get a little vignette with Corinthian and Jed. And they're on their little journey, and they get to the Royal Empire Hotel in Georgia for his quote-unquote work gathering. That being the cereal! Like, Fruit Loop cereal convention. Best cover ever. Not. Like, no one questioned that the names that the people were getting were not, like, actual cereal character names, but okay. So they arrive at the hotel, the serial killer convention, and he calls Rose and says, hey, we're here in this hotel in Georgia. Rose is like, oh, it's only like a three hour drive, so I'll head right there. And Gilbert, her knight in shining armor, if you will, from previous times, decides to accompany her. And she's at first a little hesitant, but he's like, please, no, you'd be doing me a favor. And so they set off and they go on their little road trip. And on the journey, they're having a little bit of a conversation, and Rose is, like, really happy to be getting Jed back, and she's smiling, which is something with Rose, like, we've seen it, but she hasn't seen, like, genuinely happy. And this is one of the rare, if not the first moment, where we actually see her not seem to have any worries, and Gilbert picks up on that. And he's pointing that out, at which point Rose starts to fall asleep. And this is where... We find out the reason that Lida was kind of okay with abandoning the real world and Rose because Rose can visit her whenever she wants. And so Rose shows up at Sardine Can House and Lida meets her and she's a few more months pregnant, like a lot more months pregnant. And she's like, oh, it's been ages. And Rose is like, it's only been two hours. So we're dealing with the chronological ratio distortion here, obviously. The dream can go as fast as you want, or maybe it just goes faster by default. We don't really get explanation, but they go to go inside so she can meet up with Hector. And as they walk into the living room, Hector is sitting dejected on the couch as Morpheus stands next to him. And Morpheus exercises his douche muscle and says, you cannot live in your dreams. This is impossible. This is part of the reason that I told you, Rose, shit was going to go bad. You, Hector, need to go back to the land of the dead. And so we do get clarification. It is not an incubus. It is not desire. Hector is the ghost of Hector, who somehow was brought from the afterlife into Lyda's dreams and has been there. And between the two of them, they've been manifesting this beautiful life, but it's 
not meant to happen. And so there's this confrontation between them all with Hector kind of just accepting his fate. Lyda's like, no, no, you won't take my baby. You won't take my husband. And she's like trying to figure out a way to make it happen. And she's refusing. And then Morpheus waves his hand and does the sand suction thing. And we get to watch Hector deteriorate into like zombie Hector as he slowly disintegrates and goes back to the afterlife. Lyda is understandably traumatized and falls into tears. And the dream ends and Rose gets a call from Lyda, who is distraught. Again, understandably, she is furious and sad, but she still has her baby. She's still pregnant. And Rose is like, well, there's that. And I'm going to go get Jed. And so for there, we kind of leave Lyda on the back burner. And one thing that came out of the dream that haunts both Rose and Lyda is that dream said, you can keep the baby for now. But because it was consumed, con- conceived, not consumed, conceived in the dreaming. Oh. Yes. <laughs> because it was conceived in the dreaming, this baby belongs to me. So very much like Rapunzel-like or like the Witcher in the Child Surprise, the baby that will be born at some point will one day be taken in by Morpheus. This pissed Rose off. She had threatened Morpheus with her powers, and that was kind of left on pause as they both woke up, and now they're on the phone, and she's trying to calm light it down. They end off the phone, and Gilbert and Rose pull up to the hotel. So this was a lot. This was a lot of a culmination of the Lyda and Hector story. It also starts to be the demonstration of Rose kind of coming into her own with her confidence, maybe not so much the usage of her powers, but she's starting to demonstrate a little bit more backbone and less confusion about what's going on. She's becoming comfortable. So Jeff, what did you think of the the way this went down between Morpheus and Rose and all the sad shit that happened with Hector and Lyda? It was, well, it was a lot of sad shit, uh, 100%. Uh, yeah, I, I felt bad for for everyone, to be quite honest. I felt bad for Ghost Hector, because all he wanted was was to be with his love again. I felt bad for Lyda, because, you know, she had grieved for so much, and then all of a sudden, you know, she has him back, and so the grieving process has stopped, and now she has to grieve again and even though she did have sort of in essence closure because she got to spend a lot of time with Hector you know she really had him just completely snatched away like she didn't get the chance to say goodbye properly you know dream was being sort of like asshole dream and and did not allow her you know a moment to at least properly say goodbye to her husband I felt bad, I, even though he was an asshole, I felt bad for him, for, for Dream, just because, you know, he was put in that difficult situation because of what's going on with the Vortex. And I felt bad for Rose, because clearly she didn't want any of this shit to go down. She doesn't really understand what she's doing and the fact that she's the cause of all of it. So, you know, the poor girl just, well, she's a woman because she's 21. But so this poor young woman, you know, 
she has all these magical, mystical, marvelous powers that she has no idea how to control. And unfortunately, they're just running wild. Um, I love how you called the home a sardine can. Uh, that's funny, now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Uh, I will still say it's very like Art Nouveau. It's like, it's very contemporary, you know. Uh, it, it was fascinating to look at just stylistically because it was it was certainly a very modern interpretive house. Um, I will say the CGI for that location, like when we panned out and we just saw, you know, it's this beautiful, modern looking home in the middle of like this vast, really gorgeously, lushly green field. That was really nice until we started seeing the cracks and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, and then they're uh, like, just to rewind a half a second where they're like, oh, well, there must be earthquakes in dream worlds too, right? I'm like, no, it's supposed to be perfect there. So yeah, shit's about to go down, people. But um, I love that y'all are just blissfully happy, you know, getting it in, apparently, all the damn time that y'all, you know, yeah, that's not the earthquake y'all are making. That's like an actual earthquake, people. You should be worried. <laughs> so would you say that Rose is a woman, but not yet a vortex? Correct. <laughs> we will get to that later. But yes, I agree with you. Shout out to Brittany Jean Spears. So Priscilla, rather than I mean, you can comment on obviously what everything that Jeff just did in the moment, but I have a specific question for you. Why do you think, or actually, do you think that Dream could have handled this differently? And why do you think he went the harsher route? And how did that make you feel? I was actually going to answer that when I talked about it because I feel like Dream doesn't do well when confronted by humanity, but when confronted with emotions, he just kind of like acts like his old route, like routine ways. So when he acts like an asshole because Lita challenges him and is like, no, you're not going to do that. I'm like, oh, this is like the worst way to to try and appease him. Like you, you should have like begged or appealed to his humanity but challenging him that's definitely gonna get your husband killed without you being able to say goodbye like I saw that and I was like damn you're going after one of the endless with nothing to show for it like with no power to speak of you didn't even know your friend was a vortex you just yelled at somebody that could control your dreams and expected good stuff to happen it was like one of the other foolish things that uh Lida did that I was just kind of like this bitch is dumb if she wants shit to go her way I think all the sex has gotten to her brain and made her melted or something I don't know it's just <laughs> god and also word to the wise I completely agree with you that that house looks like a sardine can it's just it's ugly yes. <laughs> but yes um, I'm also, we didn't talk about it, but you mentioned it in your um, summary, so I'll be brief. Um, the Corinthian talking to Jed in the car was super sweet, and especially, like, his little kind of curtailing of the of what is obviously a bad situation by being like, no, your sister's coming, and then being like, not telling him his name by being like, N well, people only call you your name when you're in trouble, like... Things like that are really almost sweet coming from a nightmare. And I loved that that relationship, that little bonding moment between both of them. I thought it was really cute. 
Agree. You know, and it's interesting because the Corinthian has been kind of presented as this like massive nightmarish villain the entire season. I mean, he's had his moments where he could have killed people and he didn't, but he was still very villainous. But I feel like with Jed, we we got to see a side of him that kind of hints at where things end up in the finale, which we'll talk about when we record about that. But I agree. It was nice to see like he was very relaxed with Jed and sure it could have been his whole like facade to lure Jed in. But I choose to believe there was a little bit of genuineness in that because at the end of the day, the Corinthian just wants to be free to do what he wants. And even though, yes, that is like mutilate and maim and kill. Like there is like an element of like, I was made to be this and I want to run with it, but I'm being told that I can't. So it's like, he's kind of got this like fucked up, like tragedy to him. And I really did enjoy the Jed scenes with him because th- there was this camaraderie and there was this respect between them. He could have killed Jed or he could have, like, been right out the gate, like, Rose, come to me or I'm going to kill your brother. But he chose to, you know, just have fun with him. And I thought that was really nice. Um, I think they get a camaraderie from exactly what he mentioned, that they're both running. Either Jed from his foster father, which he was scared of, or... Him from Morpheus. They're they're both runners. Yep. So there's a there's a sense of camaraderie between each other. Yes. Speaking of that camaraderie, back at the hotel, we've got uh, Rose and Gilbert arriving, and we get to see the line of nondescript serial killers lining up to get their name tags from Mister Funland, and. It's very much anyone who's ever been to a convention. It's it's exactly what you would expect. There's long lines. There's going to be workshops. People are excited. We get snippets of conversation here and there. But Rose and Gilbert arrive, and they're not exactly sure where to go. Uh, they try to go inside, but they're not allowed in. And the Corinthian had set up a hotel room for Rose and Jed and himself. But Rose doesn't know this yet. She and Gilbert show up, and she's just kind of like, well, maybe they'll be in there. And we have a nice little, very firm, but yet humorous with the addition of Gilbert interaction with Funland. And he is having none of it, and he says, trust me, there are no children in the convention areas I would know. That gave me, like, gross vibes. But, uh... Gilbert and Rose concoct a plan, and by that, Rose has stolen two name tags that will allow them entry into the convention. Gilbert becomes the Dutch, the Dutch uncle, and Rose becomes the babysitter. And with their name tags, they decide to search and destroy and start walking around. And we don't so much see Rose's journey, but we do get to see a very slow realization as Gilbert pops his head into three or four different discussion rooms and there's talks about feminine suppression in the field, uh, religious incarnations in the field. And as he peeks his head into every room, Gilbert starts to begin to realize that this may not be a general Mills convention. It is more like a general kills convention. And just as that was good. Thank you. <laughs> I, I try. I'm here every Monday. But uh, we have a very interesting moment where Gilbert comes out of one of the rooms and he and the Corinthian lock eyes. And it's very much a will they, won't they? And they don't. They don't confront each other. But Gilbert realizes the Corinthian is there and he realizes what the convention is. 
and Gilbert rushes to the front desk and asks to leave a message for Rose Walker and really reinforces it needs to be left. And he rushes away from the hotel and Rose will get his message in a bit. But Rose is walking around and she's trying to figure out where her brother is. She calls the Corinthian. He doesn't answer because he's busy mingling. And amidst all of this as well, we find out that there is a serial killer that is not a real serial killer. And he's disguising himself as the boogeyman. But Nimrod and the good doctor let the Corinthian know that he's actually a fan in disguise who runs a blog. And this is confirmed because the Corinthian points out, I know the boogeyman's dead. And he doesn't come out and say it, but he really reinforces that, trust me, I would know, indicating that maybe he was the one that killed the boogeyman. And so he and the good doctor and Nimrod decide to share the wealth and take care of the fake boogeyman themselves. And they eventually end up doing so in a Freddy Krueger-like service hallway where it starts out like the boogeyman and Corinthian are going to do the Corinthian like he wants to do. He likes to have some fun. But then the good doctor and Nimrod show up and they all start doing their thing. Now, meanwhile, Jed had been told to stay in the room, but I don't know about you, but when I was that young and I was told to just sit in a hotel room, I wanted to explore. So Jed's been walking around and exploring and he caught a little bit of the convention and he caught a little bit of what's going on, but he's still clueless until he peeks his head into this door after seeing where the Corinthian went and he sees the Corinthian and the good doctor and Nimrod turning the faux boogeyman into a shish kebab. Jed is traumatized and runs and the Corinthian sees him and says, I'll take care of this. And as Jed is running away, who does he run into but his really great friend, Funland, who says, you know what? You'll be safe in my room. Come with me. And they go away together. And Rose, by this point, has gone to the front desk and gotten the message from Fiddler's Green, who said, I'm sorry, I have to go home. Finds out about her room, and she is walking around upstairs trying to find it when she runs into Funland and Jed going into Funland's room. And she hugs her brother, and Funland is like, no, he's my friend, and starts to chase them. And he corners them, and he looks like he's about to get them, and then he gets impaled by a knife, and it is the Corinthian to the rescue. And he smiles at Rose, and we have the end of that little arc. So what did we think? I'm going to open up to either of you to talk about this bit and the ending overall here, how we ended up with the Corinthian and Jed and Rose together, the beginnings of the convention, the workshops. Floor is yours. This is what I wanted Dexter to be. Just a bunch of serial killers dying or, like, meeting and stuff like that. I just find them fascinating. So I completely, like, saw why someone, like, who is a big fan of serial killers, creates his own blog about it, would, like, risk his life to pretend to be one just to, like, look into their minds and, like, ask questions and stuff like that and just be a big old nerd about it. Like, it, it made sense to me what he was doing. But when he went with the Corinthian and the Corinthian was kind of seducing him and then he's just kind of like, would you like to find out? I was like, oh, shit, dude, you're going to die. <laughs> you, you you, flew two girls to the sun, now you're going to get burned. And when all three of them, like, circle him, the actors are so good because they, they, they looked like 
hyena circling a carcass or something. Like, they just looked, like, otherworldly in the way that they were just, like, we're going to kill you and have fun doing it. Like, it was just crazy. So when Jed saw that, I was like, oh, Jed, you're not, like, I, I really hope you survive this. And when he ran to Funland and... F- Note, I remember the, the the discussion that Fun Man had with him. And I remember in a previous episode when he was asking a waiter how young he is. And he, he's like, he looks about 16. He's like, too old. And I'm like, oh, shit. You flew into the frying pan, into the fire. Like, this is not the safe place to go. This, But he's a little kid. And he's just going to go to wherever he thinks someplace safe. And so if Fun Man is being a friend to him, he's going to go not knowing that it's dangerous. Word to the wise, all kitties who watch pod, who listen to podcasts, or people who have kids. Kids are stupid; they're gonna do shit like that. So you better warn them that not to go with friends, because friends could betray you. And I'm so glad his sister was there. And when they ran, it was almost dreamlike going down the hallway and running away from an enemy, and the enemy is like slowly catching up to you like it I loved how that was shot that was shot like a nightmare and when the Corinthian comes and saves them by stabbing him in the back I was it's almost menacing how you run into one problem you're gonna go into another problem and you're gonna go into an even huger problem with the Corinthian like they're they're not letting up in how terrible this situation is being like and it's it's great. It's very much a nightmare, and it's perfect for the Corinthian. Jeff, were you scared? Yes and no. Just because, you know, I felt like both Rose and, to a certain extent, Jed had a little bit of Vortex protection. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't feel like anything could happen to Rose and because Jed has been her focal point for the past couple of episodes, I felt like like nothing could happen to him. Like, so I wasn't really worried that he was gonna get murdered or anything like that. I, I was, I was worried something was gonna happen, but I didn't think it was gonna be something bad. And and the something that happened was he basically almost got kidnapped and and he almost got murdered by Funland, but uh, but yeah, I wasn't fully, fully, fully worried. Although it was shot beautifully, as Priscilla said, you know, the the way that they were running through the halls, the, the reunion, Funland screaming, he's mine, like all of that was interesting and very suspenseful to watch. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, they're gonna be fine. And then they were, because it was the Corinthian, mm-hmm. but then I was worried. But uh, because that's how it ends. But to rewind a little bit, all of the serial killers at the serial convention, it was what I had hoped we would get to see. It was fascinating. Everyone being really excited for their craft. All of that was just really interesting to watch. What's his name? Gilbert. Yes. Gilbert's reaction to everything was, let's be real, I think all of our reaction to everything. Because if you don't know what the hell it is, you just show up, you know, you're having a weekend. 
maybe a staycation in town, but you're not staying at home. You go to the local hotel, and there's a convention. And you're like, oh, okay, but, you know, I'm here for vacation. And then all of a sudden you start hearing, like, whispers and pieces of conversations. And then you realize what the convention is. And I feel like Gilbert's reaction to that was like, oh, shit, this is what the serial is about. That was played brilliantly. So he is a fan of, of serial killers. He's pretending to be the boogeyman. Poor Mr. Philip. You were in way over your head. Too much. Too much. You thought you were going to get it in with the Corinthian. You got it in with everybody. Because they all got their knives in you and and finished you off. Uh, yeah, that was, I was like, oh, you you were not ready for that life at all. <laughs> at all, Philip. Right. Mm-mm-mm. Well, you know, he was seeking penetration. He just didn't get the type that he thought he was going to. Right. Well, he got I multiple gonna, penetrations. I was also going to say, I disagree with you in that uh, the Corinthian probably killed the boogeyman because otherwise we would have seen like uh, a reference to it like an article with like somebody who died with their eyes out like in a lake or a ditch somewhere the way it was described I think because they're his followers because they're um, serial killers he has an innate sense of their dreams and what where they are whether or not they're alive hmm that is an interesting perspective. I like it. So before we get into MVPs and all this, I actually watched these last two episodes three times. Oh, wow. And yeah, because I wanted to be really prepared going in. So I actually had an observation I wanted to know if you guys agree with. So Rose is a vortex, right? And we all know that a vortex, like when I think of a vortex, I just think of a whirlpool, right? spiraling and it's large at the top and then it gets narrower and narrower as it goes bottom. And as I rewatched these episodes and I remembered Rose's story, I started to make the observation that not only is Rose a vortex, but the pacing of the story matches a vortex starting out wide with like the beginning of her story and unity and trying to find Jed going to Florida and progressively it's all gotten tighter in pacing and more things are happening closer and closer together. And so as we head into the finale, like this episode, especially we're starting to get to like the center of the vortex. Do you guys feel that? Like, I I feel like maybe it was intentional with the story, maybe not, but it was just a cool observation that I had. That is a cool observation. And I like it. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. Like it's, it's a wide arching plot that later, like, succinct into like a tiny point the way a vortex would so that's some pretty good observations there Vinny thank you thank you my uh my philosophical brain was happy to flex its muscles (laughs) very nice I will say um if there's anything else that I missed we can talk about one thing I did want to point out I think my favorite line was we don't shit where we eat well I mean during like the, the opening speech at the convention that yes. joke was crazy. I <laughs> loved that joke just because, like, it's not funny to anyone except people who are killers. Like, cause it's it's a fucked up joke. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anything else you guys want to talk about? It's funny. Vinny's saying that, and he probably laughed really hard. I did. Yes. Um, well, the only thing, and, and we will touch on it in the next one, is uh, as it was happening in the episode, I was like, really, dude? You're going to bail on her? I was like, that's no bueno. No bueno. Right. Yeah, that was, without knowing why he was doing that, like, I thought he was running away like a coward, honestly. Um, yeah, it was definitely like, you're just going to abandon Rose to the Corinthian and all these serial killers? Wow. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> it is time for the most valuable player, the MVP. Stay which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once they have been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Jeffrey, you are up. Oh, gosh. Exciting. Um, okay, so interestingly enough, I am going to pick for this episode, I'm going to give it to the Corinthian for giving us some additional shades and layers to the character this episode. You know, we briefly talked about his conversation with Jed, but like everything about their interaction with the ice cream and then at the convention was really nice. And I was completely surprised by that. You know, they've been giving him layers throughout, you know, each almost like subsequent episode since he, we were introduced to him. Like initially, he just seemed like a bloodthirsty killer. And then, you know, we found out a couple episodes ago that, you know, he has sex. And then we found out now that, that he can actually be caring, dare I even say nurturing. I thought that additional shade to the character was fascinating because he could have just been a one-note I'm a nightmare. I'm a nightmare made flesh, and I'm here to do as I've been doing for the past hundred plus years, and that's wreaking havoc by basically being a serial killer, murdering people, popping their eyes out, and all that kind of stuff. But giving him that additional nuance with his relationship with Jed, because it seemed genuine, and uh, he, he did seem, you know, Outside of the fact that he wants to protect him for Rose, he seemed a little bit protective uh, of him. And, and that was surprising for me. So I will give my props and my MVP to uh, the Corinthian. Yes, the actor. Let me make sure I get his name right. Uh, Boyd Hallbrook uh, did a fantastic job for me in this episode. Excellent choice. Priscilla, the Corinthian is off the table. Who's your MVP? Well, it's a good thing they didn't pick my MVP. My MVP is Funland, because holy shit, he scared the crap out of me when he was talking to Jed innocently, like, and saying, like, oh, what sort of fun things do you do? And, like, oh, I know this really cool place. I'm like, get away from him. Get away from my, from my boy. What's wrong with you? Like, he's, he's the perfect serial killer that he looks like unassuming and like like a friendly guy especially with that stupid hat on and when you see him take jed and then when rose comes along and is like come with me and he's like no he's mine and when he's running he just looks so like turned on a dime like that is exactly what someone who like screws around with little kids and like 
hurts them would look like because fuck that guy and he made me scared for jed even though like i've read this i know what's gonna happen but i was still scared because he's menacing and oh this is great i love it can i also just say to add to your point priscilla the fact that he admitted that he trolls amusement parks to kidnap children and murder them i was like oh my gosh I immediately just thought Disneyland. That's what I thought as well. Because, I mean, the hat is very mouse ears adjacent. Clearly, they Mm -hmm. can't use mouse ears because this is not a Disney production, and I don't think Disney would approve of a serial killer wearing the mouse ears. But, yeah, I thought of that as well. But I feel like... I think he was just sort of saying it in general because if you... Just thinking about, like, a serial killer you know, kidnapping kids from one theme park. I mean, you, you. I think you get caught. So I think what he does, not that I'm getting into the mind of this serial killer, I mean, he has to go to various different theme parks and, and you know, does his thing. Well, you know, it's always fascinating. Like, I watch a lot of true crime, and I watch a lot of either the documentary style, the reenacting, or the interviews and all that, and, like, Serial killers are just a fascination that a lot of people have because they're such an atrocity. They commit such horrible acts, and it's just so hard to fathom how somebody does these things because they're so elaborate and meticulous. Like, this entire episode was, like, any true crime buff was probably going to be very happy. And also, at the same time, being like, well, I wonder what they do. And, like, I know I started, like, thinking about these various people that we saw, and I'm like, I pictured him like having a big thing of balloons and cotton candy and like walking around an amusement park. And it just gave me chills because I'm like, when I was a kid, I would have been dumb enough to fall for that (laughs) because I grew up in the 80s. And like Stranger Danger was kind of a thing. But so it was like the playing outside and, you know, being on your own and not as much being on leashes to your parents. And like, it's very just scary to think about someone targeting like the personification of innocence like that. And poor Jed was, like, the exact example when he was, like, sitting on the table when Corinthian looked over just joking with Funland. <laughs> yeah. Can I just also <laughs> say, just really quick, the yeah. fact that they had all these serial killers be incredibly diverse, I thought that was interesting because I feel like we all sort of think of, and maybe the actual stats are, you know, it's a white man. And so seeing it, whether it's just because they're filming in the year 2022 and or 2021 for a release in 2022 that they thought about diversity and, and, and that sort of thing or not, uh, maybe their actual stats that uh, serial killing, you know, <laughs> so, so strange to say it, but, you know, that it's become a, d- a diverse um, occupation i don't know uh, uh an equal opportunity workforce there you go Yo. I, I thought that was interesting i did too i think i think one of my and this is going to sound horrible one of my favorite serial killers was and i don't remember what her moniker was but it was the the african-american lady who was like giving the passionate speech about we don't use our sex we don't do that and, and it was like it was very empowering even though she's obviously very clearly a homicidal maniac well you know you go, girl. <laughs> yes. I, I love that you supported her in her moment. Yes. So, for once, neither of you chose my MVP. I'm thrilled. Yay! I'm going to give it to our girl, Lida. And while she didn't have a very prominent role other than in the beginning of the episode, 
I felt that Lyda played a very pivotal and motivational role with Rose. Because the way the episode began was very pointed. It was very much like we're just going to focus on this one story with, you know, wrapping up sort of Jed, or, uh, Rose and Hector and Lyda and have Rose be there. I feel like Rose, before this confrontation with Morpheus, was kind of starting to get to where she was like, I don't want to deal with all this shit. I just, you know, want to find my brother and move on. But, like, this forced her to really kind of face the reality that shit was about to go down. And what happened with Lyda kind of galvanized Rose. And Lyda's passion, her pleas, her sorrow was so heartfelt. Like, I actually started tearing up. And it really made me feel for her. And as the episode progressed and we start to see Rose, like, you know, she's realizing what's happening. Shit's starting to disintegrate. And it starts with her best friend going through this shit. I really felt like it lit a fire under Rose's ass to get going. And it started to make that backbone show up. And not to mention, just Lyda's story in this episode was just so phenomenal and so sad and poignant that it really was the biggest story arc that stuck out with me out of the entire one. So she was my MVP. All right. Let's see if we have to replenish our stock of dream helms or not. Jeffrey, it is time to rate this episode. How would you rate it on a scale of one to 10 dream helms? You can use the point system if you would like, if you found it exceptional, I did replenish our golden dream helms. So if it's deserving of more than a 10, you can grant it the coveted golden dream helm. And you are up first. No pressure. Thank you. As tempting as it is, I'm not ready to go there just yet, but I'm going to give it a solid 10. I thought it was another spectacular outing for the Sandman. Everything was incredibly interesting. It was suspenseful. We got some more brand new information that was really interesting to hear. And we had the reunion that we've been waiting for jed and rose together it was beautiful so a solid 10 from me excellent lady priscilla besides getting the conclusion to the lida arc which i was like thank god because i felt bad for the whole dream couple together like because i as much as i'm like bitch you dumb i'm like well, if it were me, I'd probably be that dumb, too, because I'm desperate, because I want to be with my husband who's gone. So besides that, like, and the serial killer arc, which is perfect for somebody who, like, religiously, like, listens to serial killer podcasts, like, Last House on the Left and stuff like that. Like, oh. it's, it's perfect. I loved this episode. I'm going to give it a golden. It's, it went far beyond my expectations. Excellent. So we have a 10, a golden, and unfortunately, I am going to break my streak of goldens. I'm going to give this episode a 9.5. I was almost at a 10, but I think the reason I don't want to go straight for a 10 is because this episode, it it did give us conclusion to Lyda. The serial convention, I did want a little bit more. Like, I wanted a little bit more murder and, like, time with the serial killers to, like, get to know some of the people that we saw. Uh, That doesn't detract from my points, but I I did kind of feel like there was a lot going on in the episode. It was a little bit rushed at points, jumping between the various characters. Um, It wasn't bad, but when I was done with it, and I've watched it three times now, like, I I stayed, like, between 9 and 10, and I couldn't decide. 
And I think a lot of it is because it is setting up a lot for the finale. It didn't feel like a golden, and it was close to a 10. Uh, I gave it a 9.5. And if you ask me to justify it any further, I'll just continue talking in circles. So I'm going to leave it with that. And on that note, if you're curious if I will resume my Dreamhelm gold giving, you'll have to join us next time for a brand new installment of The Waking Dream. Here is our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please bid our listeners a good night, starting off with the illustrious Lord of Casting, Jeff. Good night, listeners. Sweet dreams or sweet nightmares. And the always wonderful Lady Priscilla. Should check how that's spelled. Is it cereal or cereal convention? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com backslash archives. Good night.